0: Hello and welcome to the First Lutheran Church Sermon Podcast. We're glad you joined us this week. First Lutheran Church lives by the mission statement called by the Spirit, we serve Christ, sharing God's love with all, and we are glad to share this good news with you this week. Gospel according to St. John, the 18th chapter. In John's Gospel, the story of Jesus and Pilate presents two different ways of exercising power—through force or with love. Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the King of the Jews? Jesus answered, Pilate asked him, so you, so you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. This is the gospel of our Lord. I invite you to be seated. Welcome our kids up for a short message. Good to have you, Aurora. Look at you, not running. Well done, guys. (laughs) Take that as a win. All right. Have a seat up here. Okay. I have a question for you all. Have you like <laughs> have you ever celebrated New Year's Eve? Yeah? What have you done on New Year's Eve? Stayed up until midnight. Ooh, what a thrill. That never happens outside of New Year's, all right? Okay. How about you, Aurora? What have you done? You've not stayed up to midnight? Have you, have you done anything else to celebrate New Year's? Have you ever had a, um, a party or stayed up and watched any of those uh, TV shows that talk about the New Year's celebration? No? <laughs> All right, well, do you know when New Year's is? Yes, <laughs> January the 1st. Okay, well, it's, it's a fun day to celebrate uh, something th- uh, new that's coming. Okay, let go. Okay, well, uh, today is kind of a special day in the church year. It's kind of like New Year's Eve, but for the church, because this is the last day in the, in the church year, and that next week we'll start having all different new readings for the next year. Okay, so it's, this week's kind of like the last day of the year, but for the church. If you look up there, there is a banner behind Robert, and there are two symbols under that crown. The first one is a, the letter A, right? Any guesses what the second symbol is? It looks like a horseshoe. What do you think, Lucas? Sam? Sam? There are no wrong guesses. It's a Greek letter. Omega. It's the Greek letter omega, which is which is kind of like the last letter in their alphabet. So they say alpha and omega, but we would say A to Z. Okay? In one of the readings today, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. But I'll tell you what, kids, what happens on the day after New Year's Eve? A new year begins. Everything starts over again. We may have said goodbye to another year, but we also get to say hello. Yeah? So, you know what, we, uh, you might remember some of the things that have happened over the years, or how you have changed, but guess what? From the very beginning to the very end, God never changes. You all will grow, your attitudes will change, your favorite food will change, you'll move, but God will never change. <laughs> That's a certainty, God will never change. Okay, so we're going to give thanks that though we change, God never does. God is always there for us, loving us no matter what, okay? So we're going to say a prayer of thanks. Let's fold our hands like this, and let's close our eyes and repeat after me. Good morning, God. Good morning. You are everything and everywhere and always we love you amen all right you all can head back to your seats thank you for coming up head back to your seat now come on So we celebrate a new year this, this weekend. Uh, it marks, as I mentioned in the kids sermon, uh, a new liturgical year. That is to say, uh, next week starts a new cycle of, of readings and scriptures and prayers. And this new year typically starts um, the last Sunday of November. And before you know it, Christmas will be here and we'll be starting the celebrating the new calendar year. And you all might be thinking, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but uh, we might think about on this weekend how we celebrate New Year's. You might all have your own traditions with champagne or parties or the thrill of staying up late or not. Maybe, like my family, you have a meal. My mom would always make good luck soup, a way to celebrate and uh, celebrate and start with a little bit of hope for the new year. Some people are a little bit apathetic to New Year's Day, uh, not so interested or in wanting to recognize the new day. The, it's just the flip of the calendar to... Um, a new, a new day, no big deal. Some people want to celebrate New Year's with, with these parties. Some will be disappointed for the things that didn't happen the last year, that they wish had happened. So we all have different emotions when, when there's a new beginning and a goodbye. A couple of years ago, we had a piece of wood last year with the uh, words with, with 2020 on it. And Bob Wooling made it. Um, and it's a tradition that we got from his family, where on New Year's Eve, you write the, the year that is ending on a piece of wood, or you carve it or whatever, and then you burn it to say goodbye to that year and to make way for something new. And last year, I won't say which kid but one of my kids was really distraught at burning 2020. I was thrilled to burn (laughs) 2020, but he was distraught, so worried about all the things that had happened that year that he was afraid he might lose. We all have lots of different feelings when we encounter those transitions between something old and something new, something that's ending, and something that's beginning. And that's the same thing with the church year. This year, we, uh, in the church, we don't necessarily celebrate the liturgical calendar, the scripture readings, but the festivals and the days. This week is Christ the King, the last day of the year. Next week is the first weekend of Advent, a time when we prepare for God coming into this world, into our lives. Well, in the Jewish faith tradition, they actually do have a celebration, a festival, that marks their new year. When they have their new uh, cycle, annual cycle of scripture readings. And this Jewish festival is called Simchat Torah. And it simply means rejoicing in the Torah. And on this day in the Jewish faith, they bring out, this New Year's Day, they bring out the Torah from their uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which they have in their synagogues. It's a, a holy vessel that holds the scriptures. It's the only time of the year that comes out. And they bring out these holy scriptures as part of their New Year celebration. And they dance around the sanctuary, the, syn- the synagogue. And in some communities, they even bring the Torah out into the streets and dance with their scriptures and celebrate God's Word, and the gift of studying God's Word. And I think that's pretty spectacular. Giving thanks, pausing to recognize the gift of God's Scripture. And I suggested last night at Saturday Night Worship that we should do something like that next year. Maybe even have sparkling grape juice. Or even good luck soup. But have a thanksgiving for the word. Take a moment to stop and give thanks for God's word and scripture in our lives and the guidance that it brings. Because it's good for us to celebrate together uh, when we are filled with joy uh, but also when we are in need of joy. So uh, occasionally when I am in small groups I like to do an icebreaker where I ask people to share one word or two that represents how they are feeling. And it's a great way to open things up, gauge the temperature of the room, and create kind of a vulnerable space for talking with each other. And so I want to invite you all to think, don't say it, although if you're online, you could type it. What's one word to describe how you are feeling right now. You don't say it out loud. What I want you to think about? How are you feeling? Because this uh, week, I was asked to uh, address the, the court case around Kyle Rittenhouse and the, the shootings uh, that happened last year. Some folks were wanting a pulpit perspective. And here I am preaching from the font. <laughs> um, so, uh, if you were able to follow along with the court case or not, I want to give you just a couple facts about what has happened this last week. So, Kyle Rittenhouse, last August, uh, who was then 17, shot and killed two people and injured a third in Kenosha, Wisconsin. This took place during some protests about police brutality and racism um, after an officer shot a man named Jacob Blake in the back in front of his three kids. And he, uh, from that, he was paralyzed from his waist down. So in the court case these last two weeks, the defense team argued that Rittenhouse, who's now 18, traveled over state lines to the protest to provide medical aid and defend a used car dealership from property damage. And they argued that he was only only fired his weapons in self-defense. And here's what they said. Kyle was a 17-year-old kid out there trying to help this community. The prosecuting attorney, Thomas Binger, told the jury This is a case in which a 17-year-old teenager killed two unarmed men and severely wounded a third person with an AR-15, saying that Rittenhouse was not defending his home or family and had stayed out past Kenosha's citywide curfew. This week, on the 19th, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty of homicide, attempted homicide and reckless endangerment. How are you feeling now? I imagine if I were to poll the congregation, we would see dozens of different answers, different feelings in response to this. And if you dared to brave social media, you would find that to be the case as well. There's a spectrum, a wide spectrum of people with different emotions for how this week went. So how can we witness these things from the perspective of the pulpit? Or even more appropriately so, from the font. In our gospel today, Jesus says that he is not of this world. No kidding! But that didn't stop him from coming into this divided and broken world and preaching love and mercy and justice. But as a faith community here in Topeka, here at First specifically, we are outside observers to the events that took place up in Kenosha. But we are still part of this country and that is so painfully divided in countless ways. Jesus said that he is not of this world, but he came to love the lost and the broken anyway. Anyways. We may not be of that community or of that demographic or of that attitude or opinion, but Christ still calls us to be peacemakers, to build relationships and to care for one another. So, who do we look to for guidance? Who do we turn to when? We are seeking to form our opinions or our attitudes on our hearts. We have a, a long-standing fascination with royalty. Uh, we see news stories about royalty uh, across the different countries that have, that have uh, kings and queens. Uh, we see it in entertainment and, and in the news. And history is filled with stories of diverse types of of kingly leadership. Some who are righteous and just, seeking out those who are hurting. And then there are those kings in history who are violent or unjust or apathetic to the needs of of their subjects. So what about Christ and his kingly leadership? This king who is not of this world, who rewrites the definition of leader, of sacrifice, of compassion, who rewrites our understanding of welcome. Who do we look to for guidance? Each week in worship, we make a profession of our faith. And we do this with the words of the Apostles' Creed. Typically, or this week, we'll do it with the words of the Nicene Creed. Those creeds were written in the 4th century. And they were written specifically in relationship to the challenges of the people of God, the early church, and their tension between faith and politics. And who ruled them in their lives and who they sought for guidance. So when we read, I believe, or this and we'll read, we believe in God the Father. What they were saying and what we say is we're saying, we believe in God the Father, not Caesar. We believe in God the Father. We put our trust in God, the Redeemer, not Caesar. You look to God for guidance not Caesar. So who do we look to? Who do we turn to when we form our opinions and attitudes and our treatment of one another? The people in the early church were struggling with charismatic distractions that would lead them from God's truth. And this is the case for each generation that followed, including ours. So as God's people, Looking from the perspective of the font, who do we follow? Throughout Scripture are numerous descriptions of the throne of God and who sits on it and who sits around it. Perhaps one of my favorites, uh, though, is the vision that Ezekiel has of the throne of God early in the the early parts of that book. So the prophet Ezekiel had been in exile. The people of God had been exiled from Jerusalem to the region of Babylon. And Babylon was a place of sin. It was far from God. The people in that community had done horrendous acts and many things against humanity. And so the people of God, Israelites, We're exiled into this unholy land. And in that place, Ezekiel has a vision. He's on the lakes. He's on a river bed behind tents that the people are living in. And he has a vision of a storm cloud that comes in to that place. And in the storm are four strange winged creatures. And each of the winged creatures have four heads. And underneath each of them is a wheel. Now, these wouldn't be the typical wheels of that time that were simple and moved forward. These wheels could move every way, up and down and side to side. A strange idea at the time. And the four winged creatures with four heads over the four wheels, above that was um, a throne. And on that throne... Ezekiel says he saw a human-like creature glowing and shrouded in fire, and he realized that to be the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord riding on his royal throne. Now that in itself is a radical type of image for the people of God. Strange creatures, strange engineering— But what was most scandalous about that was that the throne was in Babylon, not in the holy city, far away from this place that people believed God would dwell. It was outside their kingdom. This is our God and King, who we look to and follow. Who may not be of this world, but comes into it, into the places of abundance that we consider holy, but also into the places of scarcity, and pain, and abuse, and injustice. Our gospel reading today ends with verse 37, uh, this dialogue between Jesus and Pilate. And uh, Jesus says... Everyone who listens, everyone who believes to the truth listens to my voice. But the next verse that's not included uh, is is Pilate. Then Pilate asks, this is verse 38, then Pilate asks, what is truth? What is truth? Two verses later, Jesus is being flogged. That is the truth for our king. That's what our kingly leadership shows us. The verdict this last week is just the recent and the most recent in the many events that take place in our country and in our lives that seek to drive us apart. That point out those things that are painful in our community and in our lives and our own selves. And so we look to Christ to Christ for guidance. So this weekend, on Christ the King Sunday, we are reminded who our true leader is, a leader who offers justice and mercy. And we celebrate the ability of God to bring about new things when we are divided. We celebrate the ability of our great God and King to show mercy to us when we are not merciful to others, so that we might be peacemakers in this world. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, you anointed your beloved Son to be priest and sovereign forever grant that all the people of the earth now divided by the power of sin may be united by the glorious and gentle rule of jesus christ in your holy and precious name we pray amen thanks for listening to our podcast. we pray that these words and message inspired you in your faith journey as you grow with god we would love to see you at worship either online via facebook live or in person at 1234 Southwest Fairlawn Road at 5 p.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sundays. God loves you, and so do we.